Welcome to the Cancer Care Connect workshop. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. During the workshop, you'll hear from a panel of expert speakers. We'll allow time for questions and comments following the presentation. Instructions will be given at that time. If anyone should require assistance during the workshop, please press star, then zero on your touchstone telephone. As a reminder, this workshop is being recorded. I would now like to introduce your moderator for today's workshop, Dr. Carolyn Messner, Director of Education and Training at Cancer Care. Please go ahead. Well, thank you, Norma, and I, too, would like to welcome everyone to today's program for caregivers coping with your loved one's metastatic prostate cancer. And today's program is a collaborative effort between many other cancer organizations and many other prostate cancer organizations as well. And it is because of that collaboration and all of your interest in today's program that we have on the, on the call today over 225 participants. And you come from all over the United States, from both urban, rural, and suburban areas. And we also have a number of international participants and from the following countries, Canada, Egypt, Italy, um, Iraq, Israel, Philippines, and the UK. So I really, um, it's a bit of a global call as well. And today's uh, program is supported by a charitable contribution from Janssen Pharmaceutical Companies of Johnson & Johnson and made possible by Clovis Oncology, Inc. And I really want to thank them for the support of the program today. I know we have wonderful speakers on the call today, but before I introduce our speakers, I'm going to ask you uh, just four questions up front, just to kind of get a sense of what you know coming into this call today. So I'm going to start. And those of you who are live streaming the call will be able to see the questions as I read them, and then we'll be able to respond to them as a yes or no. So first question is, I understand tips to work with the healthcare team to manage my loved one's discomfort and pain. And it's either yes or no. And the second question is, I understand the role of the caregiver on the healthcare team. And again, either yes or no. And the third question is, I know how to manage family, friends, partners, and traditions with social distancing and masks. And again, yes or no. And the fourth, and this will be the final question up front, is I know self-care and stress management tips to promote caregiver resilience, either yes or no. I want to thank you for participating in this, uh, in these, in addressing these questions. And now we're going to go back and I'm going to introduce our first speaker uh, today. And, uh, and we have wonderful speakers on our program today. And I want to begin by introducing our first speaker, Dr. Susan Sloven. Dr. Sloven is attending physician, genitourinary oncology service, Sydney Kimmel Center for Prostate and Urologic Diseases, Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center. She's also a professor of medicine, Department of Medicine, Weill College of Cornell University. Dr. Sloven will be addressing the following topics, understanding metastatic prostate cancer in the context of COVID-19, tips on working with the healthcare team to manage your loved one's pain, neuropathy, and discomfort, caregiving for your loved one with metastatic prostate cancer, key questions to ask about quality of life concerns, and the increasing role of telehealth, telemedicine appointments. It's really my great pleasure now to turn this program over to my very esteemed colleague, Dr. Sloven. 
Thank you so much, Carolyn, and welcome to everyone. I hope everyone is doing well in uh, some challenging times that we are now uh, facing. There's no question there is a, a global epidemic. We know there are some short-term effects of COVID infections, and we're all somewhat challenged by not understanding what are the long-term sequelae or effects of uh, COVID infections. But be that as it may, we are treating the disease and people are getting better. People have been extremely concerned, if not frightened, by not only the pandemic, but the fact that if they have cancer, that they are probably at much higher risk as a result of the infection. And as a result of that, people are also expressing fear about coming into their doctors. In general, I would say that patients with cancer still have an intact immune system. You could fight a virus, uh, you could fight uh, influenza, you can fight a cold. And putting COVID aside, yes, we, there are, there's a slight increase in vulnerability, but then we're seeing patients who are completely, or I shouldn't say patients, but normal people without malignancies who are also succumbing to the disease. There is a benefit-risk ratio in terms of who should come in, who shouldn't come in. And I have to tell you that it was very challenging when COVID began in March, and we had patients who really needed to be treated. They were aware that they could get the infection if uh, they were exposed to somebody, but uh, let me reassure everybody that we are in a completely different mode right now, which is that hospitals, doctors' offices, the doctors, the ancillary personnel, all are extremely uh, attentive to keeping things as clean as possible. So even though the COVID epidemic uh, continued, I did continue to see patients. In fact, many of my colleagues did. We were active. And for patients who needed to get their treatment, they went on to their chemotherapy on schedule. Some people who were very frail for re other reasons than their cancer could not make it in, and we were able to safely delay them. But there were other people who really needed the treatment in an urgent manner. And for those treatment patients, we ended up giving some uh, supplements, uh, meaning to keep their blood counts up so they didn't have any risk of any intercurrent infections. I'm pleased to say that all those patients did well they made it through their chemotherapy. They're alive to tell the story. So I would say that in understanding treatment for your cancer, any cancer in the context of COVID-19, it is extremely important to discuss with your medical oncologist the pros and cons of the treatment. Medical oncologists are not going to ask you to come through the door if there is any risk whatsoever. However, on the other hand, the flip side of this, I am extremely aggravated sometimes because there are patients who should come in, older people, for example, who will greet me with a video call and have a glass of iced tea in one hand and wave at me with the other and say, hi, how are you doing? It's not acceptable. There are patients who really need to be seen, and I don't want people to feel that they are in any way going to be jeopardized by being in contact with their physicians. The role of telehealth, telemedicine is really something that started out as almost investigational. And within 24 hours of hearing about COVID, everybody went live with a variety of different 
platforms in order to have video meetings. They're a blessing and a curse. They're a blessing in that we were able to reach people who needed to be reached, but they were a curse because there are people who still need to come in. There are patients who live in, for example, and I hope I don't offend anybody who lives in New Jersey, but they fear that the air in New York is different than New Jersey. It's the same air. It's the same air in California. The issue is that People, in spite of the fact that we're giving this kind of very laxed follow-up, and you can talk to people, but it doesn't replace touching a patient. So if many of you have been very fearful, again, talk to your doctors. Ask what safeguards have been put into place to allow your safe uh, return to the office. Many of our patients have come in, we've spaced them out very appropriately, and they're all so excited saying, gee, I've, I've never been able to go in for a CAT scan or a bone scan so quickly, and gee, the, the technician was great, we're wearing masks, everybody's doing everything appropriately. Telemedicine is helpful, but it is not appropriate for every patient. And as far as I'm concerned, I would sooner be able to lay on hands to make sure I'm not missing anything, even a, an abnormal heart rhythm can be missed if we're just doing a, a chatty telemedicine visit. So this is something one should try to keep in mind. Also keep in mind that we are not standalone doctors. Medical oncologists are part of a healthcare team. And as part of that team, we want to deal with any pain or numbness and tingling in the feet or the fingers, what we call neuropathy, or any sort of discomfort. We often do that on a multidisciplinary level so that even if you meet somebody for the very first time, somebody brings, the, they're newly diagnosed, we have a team in place that should be following this patient from diagnosis and onward. Why? Because things change, and very often pain is not due to chemotherapy or disease. It can be due to a sports injury. In fact, to digress for one second, I will tell you that many of our patients still want to be active during COVID. They have metastatic disease. They want to go play tennis, but they have their reservations about whether they should go out for dinner, should they have a relative visit from another country or another state, and uh, to who's going to play doubles tennis. But in general, I would say that even though those concerns come up, they are all hooked into a multidisciplinary care group that can always address problems as they arise. That leads to a lot of key questions about quality of life concerns. We want people to live a full life. And our treatments are directed in a manner such that people can continue their normal activities of daily living. Patients who have cancer, any sort of cancer, are highly neurotic and not in a bad way. We want people to be aware of their bodies. We want them to call us if they think there's an issue. People often wake up in the morning and they're terribly stiff, bent over, they go in for a hot shower, they feel great. But then the phone rings, doctor, I have, uh, my back was hurting. Well, how bad was the back? Well, 10 out of 10 is the worst. And how did it go through the day? Well, I took a Tylenol, I took my shower, and I was doing my aerobics later on. So stiffness is not pain. It's just a different form of, of uh, a body ache, if you will. So there are so many different subclassifications as to how we describe pain. Uh, it could be numbness, tingling, achiness, stiffness, burning, where does it come from? Is it shooting down, going one way, going another way? A lot of these things are very important to know. But again, 
They do affect quality of life. And that's why, again, having a multidisciplinary team will also enable people to have the right person deal with the, the problem. Medical oncologists are good, but we can't answer every question that a patient has because it may not be directly oncologic in nature. In other words, not cancer-related. We're taught we want to give people one-stop shopping. In other words, one institution, every ancillary service that you can imagine. But the one thing that I just want to point out to people is that there's a lot of time that people have on their hands these days in the COVID world. People are not making it to their doctor's appointments. They're not shopping. They're not visiting. And what we're seeing are people who are becoming a little bit more obsessed with their reading their questions about their cancer to the point that they are calling with some of the most unusual uh, questions that have absolutely nothing to do with their oncologic issues. I would say that as doctors, we too have a lot of stressors going around. We're trying to give the best care we can, sometimes without even touching a patient. But I would give everybody the advice that in addition to having a multidisciplinary group to help you, also realize that a lot of the stressors that you're facing may not be easily addressed by these other people and that sometimes just trying to be active, trying to be as normal as you can and trying to not focus in on your cancer is probably the best thing that you can do. It's always appropriate, of course, if somebody's not doing well to bring it to the attention of the doctor, but we're seeing a lot of patients who are now making, studying their cancer during COVID as their own personal pet science project. So I would encourage everybody to, again, reach out to your doctors, but understand you're not alone. What you're facing, your problems, they're, they're not unique to you. Everyone feels the same. So with that, I'm more than happy to answer questions later on, but I think you'll find that my other colleagues that will be joining the call today will also expand a little bit about what I've just said. Thank you, Carolyn. Back to you. Oh. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Slovin. Wonderful presentation setting the tone for today's program. Really a lot of important issues. Questions are coming in already for you, so there you have it. So, so thank you, and um, I'm sure there'll be questions for you. I know there are questions for you during the Q&A, so thank you. And our next speaker is uh, Dr. Tamron Gray, and Dr. Gray is instructor in medicine, Dana-Farber Cancer Institute, Brigham and Women's Hospital, Harvard Medical School. And Dr. Gray will be, a, and Dr. Gray has expertise really in research and caregiving, and she'll be discussing uh, dis, uh, the issues of deciding to become a caregiver, the unique stresses and rewards of caregiving, what research tells us about caregiving, the important role of the caregiver on the healthcare team, and challenges in communicating with the healthcare team. So it's really my great pleasure to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Gray. Thank you, Dr. Nelson, for that warm introduction. And I am delighted to be here today. And I uh, first want to pause and just comment on uh, the great investment that all of you are making for being here on the call today as we talk about these very important issues. As mentioned earlier, uh, my background is in uh, caregiving research. So I'll be focusing on that aspect today. Uh, and I'm happy to go over more of this content in the Q&A uh, after my colleagues all finish with their discussion. So just a little bit of level setting here. Who are caregivers? Caregivers are defined as individuals that assist family members or friends by providing care and support throughout the illness trajectory. 
And uh, I'm I'm actually a uh, caregiver myself as well as a researcher. And I like to kind of think about caregiving as like receiving water from a fire hose. There is an enormous amount of information that caregivers have to take in and adjustments that need to be made. And caregivers are often unprepared or underprepared for their role. So what exactly do caregivers do? There's a host of uh, and responsibilities that caregivers uh, are delegated with. So for example, caregivers can be responsible for monitoring uh, side effects and symptoms of, the, of their loved one. They're also involved in communicating medical information, participating in treatment decision-making. Also, uh, they play a big role in providing or coordinating transportation and assisting with activities of day daily living. Caregivers often uh, provide emotional support. I also help patients just with the illness trajectory as they are first diagnosed to end of life or survivorship. In addition, caregivers play a big role in administering medications and providing nursing and medical tasks for their loved one. And one of the biggest uh, responsibilities that caregivers have is coordinating care and navigating healthcare systems. There's a wide variety of uh, special specialists and disciplines that take care of their loved ones, and caregivers really have that responsibility to really manage all of those relationships and appointments. So just briefly, I want to highlight the changing demographic of caregivers. So every day, on average, 10,000 people are turning 65 years of age. These baby boomers are shifting from being traditionally the caregiver to the care recipient. So the needs of caregivers is increasing and demanding every day. And that's also because in the context of cancer, a lot of the cancer care is being moved from inpatient to the outpatient uh, settings, which places more uh, burden and responsibilities on caregivers. Also want to kind of comment that uh, there is uh, a lot of under-researched caregivers, if you will, meaning there are caregivers that we really need to learn a little bit more about. So for example, it's important to really, uh, and some of you all may be on the call today, non-spousal caregivers, meaning you may not be a spouse or a partner of your loved one, you may be a child or a friend or a neighbor. We don't know a lot about these individual groups. We also have more that we need to explore in terms of caregivers with a wide variety of educational levels, uh, different ranges of self-efficacy and confidence in their role as caregivers. We also uh, need to explore more into caregivers who have uh, low health literacy or language barriers or who work full-time. Uh, and then there's also the caregivers who believe it or not, male caregivers. There's a, a shift towards more male caregivers now, and it's important to understand how those experiences differ from the traditional female caregiver roles. We also want to investigate more about LGBTQ caregivers, caregivers who live in rural populations, caregivers who I like to consider rotating uh, caregivers. Those are the ones who are kind of in and out during different uh, parts of the illness. It's always long distance caregiving. And then finally, we want to think about caregivers who are patients themselves, not necessarily with cancer, but who, are, who have other ailments um, that need to be addressed by their, provider, by their own providers. So when you think about becoming a caregiver, there are some key questions that you should ask yourself before you decide. Uh, often, I do want to have a caveat to say that a lot of caregivers um, do not see themselves as having an option to be a caregiver in general, meaning a lot of uh, individuals have reported that it is an obligation 
um, or they had no choice in the matter. But in thinking about being a caregiver, it is important to recognize first your own physical state and your own mental state. How are you doing? What are your physical, what's your physical health uh, like? What's your time looking like? Uh, do you have time um, to, ad to adequate properly to caregiving? Do you live close to your loved one with cancer? What does your financial resources look like? Do you have uh, financial resources to help support you in your caregiving role? And also, what are your current relationships like? Meaning your relationships with the patient, with your loved one, as well as with friends and family. And then finally, it's important to kind of think about your own happiness and your life goals as you weigh this decision. Uh, so there's unique stresses and rewards of caregiving. Uh, and I will also say with cancer caregiving, it's important to recognize that there are different types of patients and different types of caregivers with many different circumstances. So these experiences vary widely. But in general, family caregivers face emotional, financial, and physical challenges. They provide help with household chores, transportation, personal care, and even juggling their own jobs and families. And then sometimes uh, literature has also shown that the patient sometimes will outlive his or her caregiver, which makes it all the more relevant to see caregivers as hidden patients and be alert for signs of illness, stress, and burnout. Uh, in terms of other unique stressors, there, caregiving requires significant life disruptions, often related to care treatment, symptoms, financial burdens. This diagnosis extends well beyond the patient who's diagnosed. Caregivers are often uh, isolated from their own loved ones. Uh, they may be less willing to ask for help. Um, and also, in general, they may have to learn new coping mechanisms as they face competing demands, including child care, employment, their own health. And also, caregivers vary in terms of their availability to social resources and respite care. Not all caregivers have a chance to break away from their role. So due to the intense and demanding nature of caregiving, many caregivers report elevated emotional stress as a, as a result of providing care. In fact, half of cancer caregivers say they experience significantly high levels of emotional distress compared to non-cancer caregivers, which is about 37%. Briefly, I will say there are many different rewards and benefits to caregiving. In the literature, the most, one of the important um, findings is related to benefit finding which is an aspect in which caregivers have been able to report having an acceptance to their new role. They're more empathetic with others. They have a more positive view about their self and they're able to reprioritize. What's it really important? And some caregivers have found that there's uh, opportunities for new hobbies or new coping mechanisms. There's an increased sense of satisfaction and well-being in their role. Uh, and and, um, and I will, uh, want to say a, just one more point. Um, I think in terms of caregivers, it's important to really think about how do we increase social support for caregivers? How do we maintain, help them to maintain their own health care appointments and not delay them? Uh, how do we give them the uh, care coordination that they need to be able to do their jobs well and extend cancer care into the home settings, especially now when patients are getting discharged quicker and sometimes sicker? Um, and in terms of communicating with the team, caregivers are a big part of the healthcare team. Uh, they know the patients well. They're often with their loved ones throughout different uh, points of illness. But interestingly, a lot of caregivers feel like they are not recognized 
uh, or, or seen by the healthcare team. When we involve caregivers, it's, it's important to first recognize that we want to protect and honor patient privacy even though there's a caregiver involved. So being able to be sure to ask questions about how clinicians to be sure to ask questions about how patients see this loved one as a caregiver, what is their role? And, and I think it's also important to keep the patient involved as much as possible as part of the healthcare team. More than half of cancer caregivers say it will be, it will be helpful to require healthcare providers to include their name on the recipient's health uh, medication and healthcare record, just so there's visibility about who the caregiver is that's involved. When, there, when we think about long distance caregiving, uh, and I'm a long distance caregiver myself, uh, the literature says that uh, patients should make sure that they fill out necessary paperwork to get permission for the caregiver to speak uh, with the care team, because often physical barrier is a big barrier in advocating for the patient. Um, so I'll stop there. There, as you can see, there's a lot of important issues when it comes to uh, caregiving, and I, I'm happy to address those after my colleagues. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Gray. That was really wonderful. And um, I know there are questions for you during the Q&A, and, and I think many of the points you made are so important about caregivers and their you know, very unique role um, and, and, and the, both the stresses and the rewards also of caregiving, which are, are so important. So I, I know there'll be questions for you during the Q&A. So, so thank you so much. Um, as always, um, you've been a frequent presenter on our program, so delighted to have you <laughs> again this week. <laughs> okay, and our next speaker is uh, Ms. Sharon Flynn. Ms. Flynn is an oncology nurse. She's a nurse practitioner, nursing research and translational science, clinical center nursing department, National Institute of Health Clinical Research Center. And Ms. Flynn is going to be addressing a number of topics, um, managing family, friends, partners, and traditions with social distancing, coping with holidays, and we certainly have holidays coming up, birthdays and special occasions in the context of COVID-19 with social distancing and masks, guidelines to prepare for telehealth, telemedicine appointments to set to get the most out of these appointments, and self-care and stress management tips to promote caregiver resilience. It's now my pleasure to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Ms. Flynn. Great. Thank you, Dr. Messner, for the opportunity to be on today's call. And I'd like to warmly welcome all of our caregivers and all of our prostate cancer survivors that are on the call today. So first I'm going to talk about managing family, friends, partners, and traditions in the context of social distancing. So you as the caregiver um, are now the new gatekeeper for anyone answer or anyone coming into your home. Um, maybe they've planned to come in, um, they've made an appointment with you, or they're stopping by unexpectedly. And so the first thing you want to do is you want to keep yourself and your loved one safe. And so we want to focus on hand washing and wearing a mask. And so Anyone that comes into my house, I either have the hand sanitizer and I give them, you know, um, a healthy squirt and have with at least 70% alcohol content and have them uh, rub their hands um, or I show them to a sink with um, preferably soap and water where they wash for at least 20 seconds. So we've heard sing the happy birthday song. We have other songs that we may have uh learned as uh, as children uh, to wash our hands and then dry them. And that's going to reduce the chance of someone bringing um, not just COVID, but the flu and many other viruses that are um, around as we in, um, in America here head into the winter season. 
And so you for those unexpected visitors that might pop in just to check and see how you're doing as the caregiver or they want to see the loved one you're taking care of, um, have a cloth mask ready. So you can put that on when you're answering your door um, and have that hand sanitizer ready. And then I would encourage you um, to ask anyone coming into your home if they've had any symptoms of the flu or COVID um, recently, um, meaning in the past two weeks. And if they have, I would tend to have them stay away um, if possible. There's lots of information. Actually, there's an abundance of information out there. The two sources that I recommend would be the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the CDC, or the, or, and the World Health Organization, the WHO, to learn more about your resources for COVID-19 and what precautions need to, um, are in effect in your local area. Um, so for many of us, it's wearing a mask when we go to the grocery store. Um, so be aware of what those restrictions are in your area, or those recommendations and know them for um, people that are coming to visit you that may not know those restrictions. Maybe you have um, someone who's come long distance, they've been out of the country, out of the state for a while and are returning. Know what those restrictions are so that you can make the best decision um, when inviting them into your home. And so um, for caregivers, um, I would say the first thing that we need to do other than uh, hand washing is um, to ask for help when we need it. Um, other people can't help us if they don't know what a day in a life of caregiving for your loved one um, means. And so sometimes, especially in the American culture, it's hard to ask for help and accept help. And I want to kind of ease that guilt away that we all need help um, from time to time. And um, remember when the last time that you helped someone, how grateful um, you felt and felt useful. Well, I want you to know that others um, want that opportunity to pay you back um, for the times that you help them. And so I'd encourage you to start kind of a task list. Um, and that's a list of tasks that others can, can help you with. Um, that could include mowing the lawn or going grocery shopping. Maybe it's transportation to or from medical appointments. Um, it could be walking um, a pet, such as your dog, um, sending email updates to loved ones. Um, and for that, I really want to stress that I, about a year ago, had a, a serious health event, and my husband was just overwhelmed with the caregiving responsibilities for me at that time. And fortunately, I had a very close friend who was willing to be that communication spot um, that she com she communicated with my husband once a day, and then she sent um, emails and returned phone calls for friends and family that were concerned. Um, and that really helped um, my husband, who was my primary caregiver, because he was just overwhelmed with returning phone calls, emails, people asking for updates. All these great well wishes uh, were just just at an overwhelming time. So think about what could really help you um, on your caregiving journey. Make a list, and then that way you could either assign people who you think would be great at doing those tasks, or you can give them, uh, you know, if a friend or family member says, what can I do for you, you can offer two or three tasks from that list. 
And as we're heading into the winter holiday season here, um, but it's also applicable for birthdays and special occasions, is we want to talk to our family members about those about traditions, um, especially when someone is seriously ill. These times can become more precious. Um, but even in the best of times, these events are stressful. Um, let alone when you might be juggling, you know, a cancer diagnosis, treatment, um, and multiple medical appointments. And so I have a couple tips for you. The first one is there's no right way to celebrate a holiday, special occasion, or a birthday. Um, COVID has given us time to think about and be more creative with the ways that we celebrate um, these family traditions and occasions when we can't all be together in the same room. And so it might be hard um, thinking about um, the winter holidays as they come up and not doing, um, not having that special family get together, but you want to focus on what is most important for your loved one and for you. How can you incorporate the love and support of your family and friends into that holiday um, or celebration? And so ask yourself, what can realistically be done? Um, is in the past maybe you hosted a huge family event and cooked for that family event. Now realistically, what can be done? Maybe it's celebrating with next-door neighbors um, for a small get-together and then having a larger phone call or um, video conference with your extended family. You want to respect your loved one's decision. Um, maybe you as the caregiver, you're ready to have a you know, several people over. But for your loved one, that just seems a bit overwhelming at this time. So have that conversation before the holidays or special occasion comes. Um, talk through your feelings with your loved one and see what um, is a good compromise for both of you. You can always ask your healthcare team if there are special special medical concerns that might impact your ability to celebrate. Your team can suggest ways your loved one can more fully participate in the celebration, um, and that includes if they're in the hospital during that time um, or if they're at home. There are certain holiday traditions that involve fasting or eating meals at designated times, and you want to make sure that your healthcare provider is aware of that. Um, it might not be safe. Um, for you to fast while you're receiving treatment or, you know, if you have perhaps diabetes. Um, it might not be safe to go hours fasting. So you want to double check with your primary care provider um, about fasting um, or if you have concerns about how um, your loved one can participate in a manner that's safe. And you've been focusing on your loved one, but I want you to say yes to yourself and to schedule some time off um, and some time for some self-care, especially during the busyness of, um, well, certainly since COVID has hit, um, we all can get caught up in holiday activities or just day-to-day -day life, and um, it sneaks up on us, and then we're exhausted. So schedule some regular downtime for breaks, rest, meditation, um, you know, maybe it's pursuing a, a hobby, um, reading or, or watching a movie to rejuvenate yourself. And so next I'm going to talk about some guidelines to prepare for your telehealth um, or telemedicine appointment. And I first want to say that emergencies are still emergencies. So I don't want you to be afraid to call 911 if um, you're if you need assistance. 
difficulty breathing, a serious problem. Even during the pandemic, the emergency room is the best place to triage these types of appointments. And for your urgent care needs, um, call your primary care provider. And I want to encourage you to summarize those symptoms into one or two sentences. Um, you want to tell them how long you've been experiencing those symptoms. I know that fear has caused many people to delay important uh, and even life-saving medical care. But remember that help is only a phone call or click away. Um, and so if you can, go into um, those, those appointments. But if it's telehealth appointments, um, I'm going to have some tips here to get you organized for your appointment. The first thing is um, get your technology in order and test it. Many um, of our telehealth um, uh, calls use a platform such as Zoom or Skype. Um, and you want to make sure that you've downloaded um, the app or the software onto your phone or tablet before the appointment. And you want to do this at least a day ahead of time. And that will give you time to troubleshoot any issues that might be interfering with your appointment. And don't be afraid to ask for help um, with that kind of pre-check-in appointment. You want to make sure that you're speaking loud enough to be heard and that if you have a camera that it's turned on and that it's working. You want to find a quiet location where you won't be interrupted. And just as you would as you were going into a doctor's office, you want to turn off your phone, put it on silence. You want to keep pets and other family members out of the way so that you can focus solely on that telehealth appointment. You want to make sure that your phone or tablet is charged, fully charged, um, when the call comes in. If you become disconnected from the appointment, you want to know what the backup plan is. Um, for some care providers, they'll call you at a phone number um, listed in your chart. You want to make sure that's the most current and up-to-date phone number. And please let your health care provider know if someone else is in the room during your appointment. Um, I like to see everybody when I'm on a telehealth appointment um, just as a check-in so they can see me and I know who I'm talking to. Um, just as you would as an in-person appointment, you introduce everybody that's in the room. Again, you want to organize your thoughts ahead of time and write down your questions. Keep that list of questions in front of you during the appointment. You want to start with that most urgent symptom or question first um, and then describe it. Um, have a list of all of your medications handy, and not just those prescription medicines, but any herbal supplements or vitamins or over-the-counter medications like Tylenol PM that you're taking. If you have um, a skin condition that you're calling about or a rash, you might want to take a photograph of it ahead of time. Or if your healthcare provider wants to see what that rash is, make sure that you're in a private location. So if you need to, um, you know, reveal a portion of your chest that you're not sitting by a living room window, that you're in a private location, you're wearing comfortable clothes that you can um, show that area. Um, if you um, need a prescription refill, this doesn't necessarily necessitate a telehealth appointment. You may um, want to check with your healthcare provider on their website to see what could go through their portal. Um, sometimes if you need a prescription refill from your primary care provider, you can um, put that request in through the portal system or if you need a sick note. 
So you want to just make sure that you double check that before you schedule your telehealth appointment. Before my patients hang up um, or we end the video call or telehealth appointment, I ask to repeat back what the plan is. What are the next steps that we are going to take um, before um, I see them next? For example, if um, I'm telling or prescribing a patient to get blood work, today's Thursday, I tell them on Friday, get your blood work, um, and I'll call you on Monday with those results, and Tuesday, be prepared to come in for treatment. Um, I have them repeat back that, that plan for me. Many times, um, there's a written summary that you can ask to also be sent to you. And so um, next I'm going to move on to self-care and stress management. Um, and some stress management tips are the number one um, tip that I have is to ask for help. Look into counseling um, services. Everybody needs someone to talk to, and this is especially important, uh, important when you're going through a stressful time in your life. Caregivers sometimes feel like they need to protect or shield their loved ones from stress or anxiety or worry. And this is the time for you to talk to a professional counselor. Um, and teams like Cancer Care are here to help relieve some of the stress of caregiving. And Dr. Messner will talk about those coming up. Um, consider joining a support group. Um, Support groups have come a long way, um, especially during COVID times. They're online. Um, sometimes they're synchronous. Sometimes they're asynchronous. Sometimes it's through a video chat or an um, online chat, and sometimes it's through video. Remember, um, as I said earlier, set aside time for yourself. Um, and, and doing something for yourself doesn't mean going to the grocery store or picking up a prescription. Um, I want to encourage you to go for a walk with a friend, um, read a book, um, watch a movie, something that you enjoy to relieve stress and anxiety. And give yourself permission to laugh, to smile, to have fun. Um, and don't forget those basics of getting out and exercising for 30 minutes a day, five times a week if you can, making sure that you get enough sleep at night. Um, and if your loved one um, needs extra attention at night, maybe this is the time to call in um, a professional, um, some professional services to maybe sit with your loved one at night so that you can get some rest and be rejuvenated to take care of them during the daytime. Um, and I'm going to put a plug in. Um, remember what you're eating, um, making sure that you're getting plenty of water, fruits, and vegetables. Just because um, we're care, you're a caregiver doesn't mean that, we, that you give up on taking care of yourself. These are all the basics that you would do and are doing for your loved one and that I also want to encourage you to do for yourself. And that includes making sure that you keep your own doctor's appointments. Um, making sure that your medications, um, your prescriptions have been refilled and that you're staying on track with all of your cancer screenings and um, doctor's appointments. For some, of the, for some um, to relieve stress is keeping a journal. Um, for some people, that's a paper and uh, journal. Sometimes that's an electronic journal. Um, it's a great technique to help us process our feelings um, you might be worried about the chemotherapy treatment may not be working, or maybe your current financial status, 
And this can help get those thoughts onto paper. Um, and then um, maybe talking to a professional to ask some questions about um, what services are available to, um, to help you. And for you as the caregiver, are you feeling depressed? Maybe you're still in a, a state of shock from the, from the cancer diagnosis. Maybe it's progressed. Um, we know that this can affect the caregiving experience. So if um, one of you, either you or your loved one, is, skipped, is tempted to skip a dose of medication or a medical appointment or maybe um, an entire cancer treatment, thinking that it just doesn't matter, um, I'm here to tell you that you do matter. You are worth fighting for. And support is here for you. All you have to do is reach out for it. And so for our patients and caregivers, know that you're not alone. There are networks like Cancer Care to support both the caregiver and the patient. And so at this point, I just want to remind you that you can do this. Ask for help. Help is here. And so, Dr. Mester, I'm going to turn it back over to you, and thank you for inviting me on this important call today. Oh, well, thank you so much, Ms. Lynn. That was an excellent presentation, um, very, very excellent. And um, I, uh, I know there'll be questions for you during the Q&A, um, as always, and I am going to um, say a few words, actually, about um, long-distance caregivers who've been mentioned already in the call before, but I do want to mention them again, and I'll t describe for all of you Cancer Care's free programs and services. So I am Carolyn Mester. I'm Director of Education and Training at Cancer Care, and I'm an oncology social worker. So I want to comment on the long-distance caregiver. So a long-distance caregiver, as we define today, can be someone actually in the same community that you live in, but may take a while to get to your home or to get to you. In other words, they don't live, they're not right next door. There's a travel time. Sometimes if you're in the same city, it could be an hour to get from one part of the city to the other, or if it's another part of the country or world, it would be probably very difficult right now with social distancing to travel um, to your, uh, you know, to see you. But the long distance caregiver now, because of telemedicine and because of the telephone and because of the ability to a Zoom call or to really just talk on the phone to somebody, has a very important role to play, both in terms of their support to the person with uh, metastatic prostate cancer, as well as joining in on a telemedicine appointment with permission of the person, the patient, the person themselves, giving that permission um, to the healthcare team for the long-distance caregiver to join, to join as an extra set of ears, and also to join to take notes, or even for the two to talk about perhaps something that's been troubling them before, um, and, to, and to plan out what that question might be that is important to ask, but might be difficult to ask without the support of that long-distance caregiver, so to work together. And I think, as Dr. Sloven said, it's really important to make very good use of these appointments, um, even to come, when you're coming into the office as well. Um, but to actually have your questions prepared. And I think um, that also uh, Dr. Gray and Ms. Lynn have also commented on the importance of being prepared for these visits with your physician to be, um, you know, to make the best use of them by having your questions planned out ahead of time. And sometimes a long-distance caregiver does give you that extra set of ears as well as actually um, sometimes being able with planning ahead, the two of you talking ahead of time, to bring up something that might have been a difficult issue for you to raise with your physician without their support. 
Um, and then I just want to say something about Cancer Kids Free Programs and Services. And um, you have received a lot of information about Cancer Kids Programs and Services. We do have a staff, a, a very large staff of oncology social workers, and they are, we do have a Hope Line, 1-800-813-4673. And for many of you, your access to those services are simply calling us on the phone really during business hours. And we also do have a website, www.cancercare.org, and you can also so um, go to our website, post a question there, and our staff will get back to you as well. So that's good for everybody on the call um, who may prefer um, contacting us via the web. Now, what are the services that we actually offer for free? Well, we do have a lot of different online support groups, and those are very helpful to people. Um, can be extremely helpful to people to join an online support group or to talk with one of our oncology social workers about just support, some question or concern that you may have um, that wouldn't be necessarily medically focused, but focused on just your coping or a concern that you might have or how to talk to your children about um, cancer in the family or metastatic prostate cancer in the family, how to talk to each other, you know, the conversations. So those are wonderful opportunities for people to have. We also do offer uh, practical and financial assistance, both with uh, financial assistance through cancer care, and we also have a cancer care copay foundation, which helps to pay for many of the medications that you may have. And if we don't have that service, we will refer you to another copay foundation that does have what you need. We also have just instituted a case management program here. So that means that some of you all over the country are calling us, and um, to some extent, we have all the resources in your communities, and we'll help to connect you up with those resources so you can get the most help possible. Um, but that's really important that you'll get that, that immediate assistance as well. Um, and um, so that really, and we do have, of course, these education workshops and many publications that we offer as well. So lots of services that you can access from Cancer Care. Um, so with that being said, um, before we actually open up to questions, we're going to just ask you a few um, uh, final questions now for this program. And so I'm going to... Um, just four questions. So I'm going to start with uh, if all of you who are live streaming will see the questions and you can just um, answer them yes or no. So the first question is, as a result of this workshop, I better understand tips to work with the healthcare team to manage my loved one's discomfort and pain. And it's yes or no. And the next question is, as a result of this workshop, I better understand the role of the caregiver on the healthcare team. Again, yes or no. And then just two more. The next question As a result of this workshop, I better know how to manage family, friends, partners, and traditions with social distancing and masks. Yes or no. And final question, as a result of this workshop, I know more self-care and stress management tips to promote caregiver resilience, either yes or no. Okay, well, thank you all for participating in these and answering these questions. It gives a good sense of what you learned at the beginning, what you knew at the beginning of the program, and what you now know at the end of the program. So it's really helpful to us. And now, um, uh, and then helping to plan future programs as well. And now I'm going to ask our uh, uh, Norma to bring all of our speakers on board, and we're going to take um, 
we're going to now take questions from our participants. And so Norma will explain to you how to ask questions. I'm going to try to take as many of your questions as possible. Norma? Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, if you would like to ask a question, please press star 1 on your touchdown telephone. If your question has been answered or you wish to remove yourself from the queue, you may press the pound key. Those of you on the web may submit questions by clicking Ask a Question. Again, ladies and gentlemen, to ask a question, please press star 1. Another question for Dr. Sloven from one of our online participants. Um, my father was diagnosed with prostate cancer, recently had surgery to have prostate removed. His urologist has been his main MD. Should my father be working with an oncologist undetermined if cancer has spread? And if you could answer this in a general way, as I realize you don't have all the details, but if you could just give some guidelines um, for many who may be struggling with this type of question. Thank you. Uh, it's a very good question. If uh, if your father has just had surgical removal of his prostate, then the usual format would be for him to follow up with his urologist. However, should the urologist detect that the PSA is rising, it is not unreasonable to have your father referred to a medical oncologist for further evaluation. But for the most part, when a patient is a surgical candidate and has undergone a procedure with a surgeon, it's usually the surgeon who will monitor the patient until such time that the treatment fails. I hope that helps. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, and another question for you, Dr. Slovin, is my father at greater risk of other cancers because he has prostate cancer? Not at all. Let's put it this way. The greatest risk, it's an excellent question, uh, the greatest risk for getting a second or a third cancer, believe it or not, is age. As we get older, there are changes in our immune system, and the longer we live, we see a completely different natural history of the body, and that things that uh, were not there years ago are suddenly popping up because people are living longer. You know, we never knew about this because survival in the 1800s, early 1900s was, was not very good. We've had better nutrition, better health care, so people are living longer, and it's not uncommon to see this happen. The only concern, of course, we have are patients who have family syndromes of cancer or genetic markers that predispose them toward cancer. So, for example, women who have breast and or ovarian cancer may have a gene called the BRCA or BRCA gene that predisposes the female members of their family to further ovarian or breast cancers, sometimes even prostate cancers. Those are the ones we worry about the most, but I would say in general just having prostate cancer in and of itself does not and again, I underscore the word does not predispose you to other cancers. In fact, I think everybody forgets that as we get older, skin cancers pop up, and it has absolutely no genetic predisposition. It has to do with being in the sun. Everybody migrates to Florida in the cold weather, and that's another reason why if you have cancer, it's because of sun exposure. I hope that helps. Excellent. Thank you. Thanks so much, Dr. Slofen. And um, a question for Dr. Gray about... Um, so um, dad has uh, cancer, and uh, both um, the, the, uh, the daughters are both working. They're the sisters, actually, they're both working. Um, and um, the dad lives alone. And they feel um, as though, um, you know, they're, the struggle of wanting to help and yet having limited time to, to do things. And if you could comment on just what um, we know about that, um, about that because it's, I think it's, I know it's a, 
that's something that you've talked about a lot and um, just to give them some um, help. And then there's a follow-up question that I'll give to Ms. Flynn, but I thought perhaps to start with your giving the overall picture of, of how challenging it can sometimes be to be a caregiver. Yes, you know, that is such a great question, and thank you so much for asking that. You know, I think one of the um, concerns that a lot of caregivers have is the fact that they are also working and they don't expect this cancer diagnosis. So it's really difficult for them to modify their work schedules and other um, lifestyle uh, factors. But one thing that I would kind of encourage is to be able to create a list of the things that uh, responsibilities, things that your dad really needs help with. And really uh, reaching out to the extended family. Uh, I apologize for the um, near medical facility. Uh, to write down a, a list asking for specific requests from loved ones and friends. I would also uh, talk, uh, I would also uh, recommend that you leverage technology too. Being able to kind of talk with your dad, video with him, how seeing if you can just understand kind of how his day is going, having a neighbor also check in on him may be good. Uh, and just know that the schedule will change and fluctuate, uh, just depending on how he's doing and depending on the schedule. But I think being explicit about your um, ways in which you need help is very important and not feeling guilty about not being able to be there 24 seven. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you very much. And uh, Ms. Flynn, if you could um, address the second part of it, the, the, his need for having someone to help with, because um, they aren't they aren't actually able to do like just the, the chores, some of the cooking or household chores or um, getting him to appointments. Sometimes they can go, but sometimes can't. If you could comment on that as well. Right. That's a great question. Thank you. Um, thank you for your question. And as far as, um, I'll start with chores, um, kind of around the house. Um, there are different grocery shopping um, um, uh, facilities out there um, that your grocery store has that can deliver groceries to your house. Sometimes you could ask um, a neighbor or a friend um, or a local teenager to pick up those groceries and, and bring them back to your father's house and unpack them or drop them off at the door. Um, there's also um, things like Meals on Wheels that could deliver meals um, to to your father or um, perhaps a food tree with a faith organization to not only check on him um, if you're unable, you know, if you're caregiving from a distance or you're working and have a family of your own, um, it's, a, it's a great way to have a meal and to get a check-in. Um, so using a variety of resources like that is is definitely helpful. Um, and as far as other kind of household household chores, this may be a time that you look into having maybe a personal aide come in a couple times a week to get um, your father washed up, um, maybe get the laundry done that way, um, just a couple hours, um, maybe a couple times a week to get that done. Um, as far as other household chores like house um, keeping chores, vacuuming, dusting, um, dishes, 
this could be a time, um, again, that you contract that service to um, someone else to come into the home maybe once, twice a week to not only check in on your father, um, but also to, to get those chores done. So there's lots of resources out there. I would encourage you to talk to your healthcare team, like the social worker on your team, that could um, help kind of strategize um, pulling some more resources in. Excellent, excellent. And um, actually, uh, everyone has been really wonderful. I, I want to also add that the, um, the case management service that we now have at Cancer Care could be very helpful to call or speak to one of our uh, staff, uh, social workers about um, organizing the, the exactly what, um, what Ms. Flynn has addressed. And, and also, there may be services in your community as well. Um, and, as, and I think, as Ms. Lynn said, even the health social worker on the on the on the healthcare team. You know, the healthcare team is many and consists of many many different people. And so, of course, um, so you may be seeing the physician on the team, but there are many other people on that team who might be able to be of help to you. Well, I want to thank all of our speakers. You've really been extraordinary. I have to say this has been an amazing um, program. I know that there are many more questions in queue, and we could go on for another hour, but we did say that this would be a one-hour program. And so in keeping with that um, with that promise to all of you, that um, so I do want to just, um, in concluding, um, I really uh, – I guess we feel very strong. I want to first of all thank our speakers, and I want to thank who have been phenomenal. I want to thank our participants for asking such great questions that really enable our, our speakers to address them in another way and, and, and really help to address some of your concerns and questions. Um, I do want to bring you back to the fact that you, we prefer that people don't leave the call feeling that you're alone. So the call may be ending soon, but that doesn't mean that your ability to get help ends. Um, first of all, you do have your healthcare team, but you also have um, I, Cancer Care is a, an organization that is a national organization that's available. There are many organizations as well, like Cancer Care, that offer services throughout the country and also in your community. So we, at the end of the program, you will get an evaluation on SurveyMonkey, and it will include, it's not just an evaluation, it also includes all sorts of resources for you to use as well. So although it is, of course, normal to feel alone, now, particularly even more so at this time because of social distancing and more people feeling in their, in their home or by themselves. Nevertheless, we do want you to know when you feel that way that you that you are connected and you are connected, of course, to your healthcare team, but you also can be connected to a number of different, a variety of services in your community or nationally that could provide you some additional support, really, that would help you through these very difficult times and also in just coping in general. So um, to just keep that in mind. So of course, it's normal to feel alone. You do feel alone sometimes, but we do want you to know that you are connected to other groups and that really want to take care of you. We also are entering into a holiday season, and we do, I know that depending on your, where you are regionally in the country, you'll be getting different direction in terms of, um, uh, you know, what you should do in terms of getting together with um, large groups of people or, or not doing that. I know in some parts of the country, people are being advised to really stay within the stay within their home with the people that they have in their home and to not bring in other large groups of people into their home or even small groups of people they just haven't seen for quite some time coming from different areas. So that's a decision that you want to discuss, of course, with your healthcare team in making the best decision for you and, and in terms of also where you are regionally in the country. Again, I want to thank you all for your participation today, and I want to wish you all a very fine day. Thank you all. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for your participation. This concludes the workshop. You may now disconnect. Everyone have a great day.